Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. Um, Just to set the stage for the rest of the sermon, I should confess that um, the AA meeting I attend on Saturdays is literally next door to the Masterpiece Cake Shop (laughs) of Supreme of Supreme Court-level anti-gay fame. I have to pass that business every week. And last week, I was in a mood. So I took a picture of myself flipping off the bakery (laughs) while also taking one of their prime parking spots all of which I considered an act of resistance because I then posted it on Twitter. If you've been at church every week for the last four weeks, which for the record, I have not, but if you have, you can turn around in your pew and tell the rest of us that the lectionary is right now in the middle of four weeks worth of gospel readings all taken from the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we heard Jesus' Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. And this week, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And as someone who did not particularly feel like something as purifying and essential as salt, or as illuminating and luminescent as light this week, I started to wonder if he maybe didn't mean me. I mean, surely Jesus means people who don't have drinking problems and who never post angry pictures online of them making obscene gestures in front of bakeries and fancying it to be activism. Surely Jesus means that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Surely those who Jesus would call the salt of the earth and the light of the world are a superior class of people, nothing like me. This is what I told myself as I was trying to figure out what I related to in the text. So, curious to know more, I went into the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew and tried to discover what I could about who this special class of awesome, salty, light-bearing people were. Okay, this is where I will now offer an installment of Pastor Nadia's nerdy history of the Bible lessons. And this lesson is called Chapters and Verses. Now, while having the Bible broken into chapters and verses makes it easier to find things and reference them, The Bible didn't, like, come with them. (laughs) As a matter of fact, there actually were no chapter numbers in the Bible until the 13th century, and there were no verse numbers until the 16th century. In other words, God did not add the chapters, you, you understand, right? Like, Jesus never sat down and divided his sermons into verses, So, this means that, believe it or not, you totally have permission to ignore chapters and verses. Those separations were added hundreds of years later, and I mention this because 
when I defiantly ignored the arbitrary separation between the fourth and the fifth chapters of Matthew, it totally changed everything for me. Because honestly, some monk in the 13th century who was the guy who decided one day where Matthew chapter four ended and where Matthew chapter five began is definitely not the boss of me. I'll show you what I mean. The last verses of what we now think of as chapter four say this. Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. Great crowds followed him from a bunch of places I can't pronounce, which is where chapter four ends, which I'm sorry is super lame because the first verse of chapter five says this, when Jesus saw the crowds, when he saw the demoniacs and epileptics and people in pain, he went up the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In other words, the Beatitudes, the good Christians here heard last week. See, here's why sometimes it's good to ignore the chapter and verse separations. Because it's so easy for us to default to hearing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as pure exhortation. As though he's giving us a list of virtues we should try and adopt so that we too can be considered blessed. You know, like be meeker, uh, be poorer, be mournier. <laughs> and you too can meet the conditions of earning Jesus' blessing. But the thing is, it's hard to imagine Jesus exhorting a crowd of demoniacs and epileptics to be meeker. He wasn't telling the sick and the lame they should try and become something. He was telling them, you are blessed. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Which is why for years now I've been convinced the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus' lavish blessing of the people around him on that hillside that his world, like our world, didn't have much time for, like people in pain and people who work for peace instead of profit and people who exercise mercy instead of vengeance. Maybe Jesus was simply blessing the ones around him that day who didn't otherwise receive blessing, who had come to believe that for them blessings would never be in the cards. What I'm trying to say is that that was his special class of people to whom he was preaching. I mean, perhaps there were people in the crowd who totally had their stuff together, people who had solid relationships and had paid off their student loans and always backed up their hard drives, <laughs> people who only bought books at Lifeway and who didn't have terrible secrets and who knew exactly what they were doing. I mean... Of course, it's possible those people were in the crowd. It's just that's not who we were told were in the crowd. The ones we're told 
were coming to Jesus. The ones presumably to whom he was preaching were described as the sick, those who were in pain, who fought with demons, who were broken and addicted and laid on their back taxes. Those who have more than one ex-wife and who watch too much Netflix and think that maybe just a tiny bit of heroin would be a good idea. In other words, the salt of the earth and the light of the world are just the people who happen to be standing in the need of God. And standing in the need of God is standing in the way of blessedness in a way that already having it together never has. When I'm on the road speaking at events, people often tell me how they have given up on church because church seemed to be a place that only people who were doing just great and totally had it all together went. What's weird is that those are clearly not who came to Jesus when Jesus was walking the earth. It's just who we at some point decided Jesus needed us to be after he'd left the earth. These people... The wretched ones left behind in the last verses of chapter 4, they follow Jesus in a way that the least and the last and the lost and the lonely have always followed Jesus. I thought that to be the light of the world, to let my light so shine before men, so to speak, that I have to be whole and strong and perfect and I'd have to be in that special class of people that I've never seemed to belong to. But when I listen closely, I realize that nowhere in the Sermon on the Mount does Jesus say, here are the conditions you must meet in order to be the salt of the earth. He does not say, here are the standards of wholeness you must fulfill in order to be light for the world. No, he simply looks out into the crowd of people in pain, people who have been broken open, who bear those spiritual cracks that let the light in, who have the salt of sweat and tears on their broken bodies. And and he says, you are salt. You, 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 you're light. You have that of God within you, the God whose light scatters the darkness. Your imperfect and beautiful bodies are made of chemicals with holiness shimmering in them. You are made of dirt and the very breath of God. In other words, uh, you're a broken jerk and Jesus trusts you. So don't wait until you feel as though you've met the conditions of being holy. Those conditions were never stated by Jesus. Trust that Jesus maybe knows what he's doing and that you already are salt and light and love and grace. You are already holy. Don't try and be it. It's exhausting. Just know that you already are it. And then, for the love of God, take it seriously. Because you're exactly what this world needs. Amen.